Click here. All right. Click here. It's a responsibility owed to the world, not just to the Jews. Right. The world has been enslaved oh, no. by this. People have given money thinking they're going to they're going to see Jesus in heaven. There's nobody there in heaven with the name Jesus. Because he never existed. He can't be there in heaven if he never was on earth. But there's no story. I'd like to add something on this. Pesach got the name Jesus from the Greek translation of Joshua. Joshua's father was Nun, and that's why a Catholic sister is called Nun, N-U-N spelled the same way. So who wrote the New Testament? I think you may know. I think you may have been told multiple people over several centuries had input. Uh, you may be told the Apostle Paul wrote it. Uh, some of the uh, disciples have written and added thereto since over the years. The red letter edition, the Messiah, himself has added some dialogue to this this book this this answer to the old testament um kind of like giving a new perspective maybe you like me all of your life until recently have discovered that mm, none of the above let's listen hi my name is uh reckless vote i'm the publisher of vector associates and uh uh, after 30 plus years, I finally got my friend, Avalar Reichland, to do an interview of his infamous or famous book called The True Authorship of the New Testament. Some of you may have seen it advertised in Nation, New Republic, etc., where it says, Flavius Josephus writes New Testament. Well, uh, he's the first one in history that openly wrote about it and figured out the whole family relationship of who wrote the New Testament, when the books were written, the code systems that the Pisos used in writing it. So if you're a theologian, amateur professional, uh, regardless whether you're uh, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, uh, Jewish, or even if you're Muslim and curious about uh, this whole story, you're going to love this. This is a real treat. You're going to learn more about not only Roman history, but the code systems and, and how it was written and the proof that Abelard is right and everybody else is wrong. So I've got a couple of questions for him. And what you see up, uh, above us here is the family tree that we'll partially go through. So you understand the relationship of who wrote what, how the books were written, the years they started, and how it progressed. Because uh, that's a big mystery for many scholars, is, is how the books were written, when they were, and stuff like that. So, Abelard, thank you for taking my invitation and finally doing this. First question, can you tell me about why did you decide to write this, or how did you get curious about the New Testament? Many, many people are curious about the New Testament. They can't understand why a small group of supposedly persecuted Christians could persevere in the catacombs for 35 years, hiding from the Roman legionaries who supposedly are trying to find and kill them. And the legionaries knew the catacombs far better than did these poor, straggling, uneducated Christians. For sure. And it's a mystery. Where were they for 35 years, and how did they come out of the catacombs with great new leaders that nobody had ever heard of before. That's how I got onto it. I was an attorney for over 50 years, and I always wanted to become a detective. Well, I read Agatha Christie, I read Sherlock Holmes, and then I got onto the New Testament, because I was so curious about how did they manage to hide for 35 years in the catacombs. He's been selling this book, or we have also, since... 79, I think it was, right, when we first published it. 1981, finally. Well, that's when you finally decided to bring it public, right, right. instead of just trying to get the rabbis to accept it. But because my Jewish friends were just too stubborn and too afraid to get involved with Christianity because they had so many problems of being persecuted, hated, treated with contempt, and finally murdered in mass in Catholic Europe and in Russia and in Poland. And they didn't want any part of this. No question. But, uh, uh, but over the years, if you search on the Internet, uh, if you search for just Arius Calpurnius Piso, the star of the story, you'll find 335 web pages that have the name listed. For Abelard Reichland, which is him, 3080 mentioned him, which means they're talking about the true authorship. And when you search for the true authorship of the New Testament, with quotes around, of course, you get 967. That's how many web pages or no news groups have people talking about the book. Some have estimated that as many as a million people worldwide know about the Pisos, and it's all because of him. And, and releasing this information to the world. So, uh, let me see. My first question, I think, for you is, um, well, the family tree. Let's get to the first thing. Uh, who was the first one who came up with the idea of a Jesus Savior? The one who came up with the idea of a Savior, or the Judeans, as the Jews were then called, was T. Flavius Sabinus. T. Flavius Sabinus. 
who was the head son of the Flavian family who lived in Etrusca, which was Etruria, which was northwest of the city of Rome. And their leader was T. Flavius Sabinus. Sabinus was because it was near the Sabine River. Flavius was because it was gold and they liked that for their name. T. Flavius Sabinus. He wrote, not much, but he wrote a small compendium of Roman history under the name, his literary name of Valeus Paterculus. Valeus Paterculus. And he was the one who came up with the idea and gave it to his son, who happened to be married to Aretina Sr. or Arius Sr. Aretina Sr. or Arius Sr. who turns out to be the link between the two families. Yeah, we have two families here. We have well, the father was Valeus Paterculus. He's the one who gave the idea to his son. Phileus, uh, his son, uh, Sabinus. The other son became Vespasian the Emperor and, and died in 96. No, in uh, 81. Died in 81? His son, Domitian, his son and last successor, died in 96. Oh, got it. Okay, so when did he take, when did he take power? He took power in 79. So he was there for two years. So he was only there for two years. Maybe but his son, Titus, ruled with him and Titus lived until the year... Uh, he took, excuse me, 69 he took over, not 79. He took over 69. Oh, 69, okay. And Titus ruled till 79 when supposedly he ate some poisoned boiled fish, perhaps uh, supplied uh, intentionally or unintentionally by his brother Domitian. And Domitian took over and ruled until 96. That was the end yeah. of the Flavian dynasty. So the, the important part here is also his wife was Arya Sr. And their daughter, Aria Jr. winds up marrying of the great one. Well, uh, the father of Arius, Gaius C. Calpurnius Piso, right. also known as Raius Paetus. His wife is Aria Jr. And there's an interesting story about that we'll get to later with, with the uh, emperor. Um, okay, we'll stop at this point and we'll go on to this after these, these other questions. Um, who did the story pass through that eventually ended up as the current version of the bookmark? The bookmark is evidently the first one and evidently the most difficult to figure out. It is because it has so many different authors adding things to it. We have him given the idea to his son who writes the earliest version but it doesn't have a lot of the names in it yet. No. It's, it's just a, it's just a uh, basically just a sketch. Then his, his son-in-law, Gaius C. Piso, takes over and finishes Urmarcus. The reason why it's Urmarcus is why? From Sabinus's name, Furius was a, was a noble name in Roman history of a great conqueror. And he was one of those who used the name Furious. It meant ferocious, and it also meant, uh, uh, from the German, it supposedly meant original. But actually, it was a name that ties together the Pisos for a number of generations, including the fact that uh, eventually the fictional uh, King Arthur has a, a, a fictional father who is named uh, Furious Pendragon. So Furious was a great, great, honorable name. So all he did was, so all he did was chop off the F and tell that I chop off the suffix. That's right. And they had Order Marcus. So he's giving credit to, to Flavius Sabinus for developing it further than Paterculus. That's right. And basically, yeah. So basically, there's like four different authors to this mark. That's so why it's so complicated. It's the hardest book to figure out. So we have the father, Gaius Calpurnius Piso, his wife, Aria Jr. At this point, I wanted to say in, in the bookmark, let's just talk about a virgin birth at all. That was developed later. In, in chapter 1, verse 11, it, it then says, And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now that happens after John the Baptist baptizes him. But uh, the reason why they use that as a son is because they were plagiarizing right from uh, Ezekiel, where in, I think, chapter 41 or 42, there's a prince who sits in front of, um, with God, and the prince is obviously the son of a king, and that's where they borrowed it from. And later, in chapter 6, Verse 3, it then winds up saying, Is not the carpenter the son of Mary? They finally introduce the name Mary, which means Gaius must have written from that section on. But explain why he uses Mary. They used Mary, which was a later, it was the name Mary. They used the name Mariam, M A R I A M, because uh, they wanted to create a tie in with uh, Moses' mother, Miriam. They changed the I to an A. Because Piso was playing the game that he was the mother as well as the father, like the like the rhyme in uh, in one of the Shakespearean plays 
uh, which speaks of my, my mother, father, and yet his child, etc., etc., etc. One man playing many parts on the stage of life. Obviously, parts on the stage of life. I like that. That's one, one thing. In the booklet, when you buy it, on page seven, there's the code system uh, that he uses, the pieces use, the Greek large numbering, small numbering, and the sequence system. In the in large numbering, the reason why he chose Marion is he adds an M in the front and the M in the back of his mother's real name. And so we have Piso, the first letter of Piso is Pi, and Pi was equal to 80 in Greek large numbering. So in essence, he's saying it's him. He's, the M and M is 80, so it's Aria Piso, or feminine version of his own name, Aria Piso. That's right. He's saying that I am the mother as well as the father. He's, he's everything. M on either end with the feminine form of my name of Aria in the middle is Aria. M plus Aria plus M is, means feminine myself plus 80. 40 and 40 is 80. Now, the virgin birth, we have to say it because it ties out with this guy. Gaius Caligula, the emperor, the degenerate emperor. Uh, I had found it in, it's in your second book, your larger book, the reference. He, uh, on Gaius Calpurnius Piso's wedding night with Aria Jr., what does he do? According to Roman history, I'm not sure where I got it from. But someplace, the I reference is there. I got it. Suetonius, I believe. Is that right? Is that right? You talk, I'll get it. All right. Good. You give the explanation. I'm going to find it. Suetonius was Piso's grandson. He took the name from the general Suetonius who conquered Boeotia in the hundred years prior to this time. And uh, in that battle, Suetonius Paulinus was a Roman general, so he was honored. He wasn't really that much of a military man. He was a great writer. He became the Emperor Antoninus in 138 and then wrote up to his time a compendium of Gnostic literature. And he gave it the name Gnostic literature. And uh, so we have uh, from Suetonius Gnostic literature. And we also have from him the lives of the twelve Caesars uh, up to just before the time of, uh, of uh, the taking of power of Vespasian. And he posits the rule, which is the, the information which Doug will tell you about that. And it, it's really a, a very humorous thing. I, I don't appreciate it too humorously, although Piso had a fantastic sense of humor. He, he was basically sticking his finger in the, in the Roman aristocracy. They all knew this, that his real father was uh, Gaius Caligula. Like, it must be in the later section. I, I can't find it, but I know it's in here. I found it earlier. Uh, that was the deep dark family secret. Now, the other part of Caligula is possibly uh, illegitimate. Well, the beauty of the the Roman aristocracy yeah. back. The, the said, Look, I'm entitled to be emperor. My father is my father was Caligula, and everybody knows it, and everybody's teaching me about it. I'm gonna flaunt it back. The other part of this thing is this: he was such a degenerate. He he forced the Roman aristocracy to worship him as a god. So by by Piso putting in there that God is the father, marries the mother. He's really talking about his own life. Maria, Maria is his mother, and everybody had assumed he was the was God. Or had to worship him as a god. So basically, the Roman god is his father, Gaius Caligula, and that's his mother, and he's the offspring. So it was not a virgin birth, obviously, uh, but a Roman god, uh, Gaius Caligula, was his real father, his real paternal father. That's the scandal that the Roman aristocracy knew about. He must have had her for over a month after the wedding. And got her pregnant, and six months later, he's born in 37. It was nine months. About nine months after the wedding. Yeah. So we know who the father is. There's no question about it. So, and, and that's the joke. And that's maybe why they got together, you know, figured his sons were in line to be emperors because Gaius Caligula was the emperor. Okay, who's the main designer of the, the NT? Who's the guy who put it together after the father got done with it? Fabius Justice took over. Is all of his other brothers, the four of them. I think we're jumping ahead. I'm really talking about Arius Calpurnius Piso. He's the guy who really was the designer he and was organizer. Director, he was everything. Two books had not been finished by the time he died in Andrew. They were Romans, the epistles of the Romans, and they were also consisted of uh, the book of Hebrews. They were written by his sons after his death. But everything else had been finished. Even the letters had been finished. He and his son, his grandson, Arian, collaborated mm -hmm. under other names, which we didn't correct in the booklets, but they're, they're by, largely by Piso and Arian. There are five, six of these small letters at the end of the They're also by Piso, but Piso with the help of his Arian, not his son, grandson Arian, whom he was training to be his successor in a literary 
sent some of the Christian writings. What were some of the other pen names? The, the world knows him as Flavius Josephus. That's the most important. Flavius Josephus. He never lived as Josephus. This is Winston's translation. That book by Winston. By Winston is the famous book of the writings of Josephus. There is another series which we advise you to get if you can afford it or read them in the library. Order them by interlibrary loan. Those are, I think, 11 volumes now. They sell for $20, $22, perhaps less. The Lobes. The Low Classical, Classical Library, editions of Josephus. Um, they have a lot of uh, information in there. And they have the Greek on one side and the English on the other. They're easier to understand, but it takes scholarly work because it's not a quick read. By the way, that's how most of the pastors and others get into the inner circle. They're curious about it. They start reading Josephus. The first mention of Jesus is, is, is in his testimony of Flaviano because he's the guy who wrote it. <laughs> that's why it's there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so that was one of the pen names. What are some of the others of Pisa? Tidius Aristo. Tidius Aristo, he, that was his name. These names appear in the writings of his much younger half-brother, who is also his granddaughter's husband, Pliny the Younger. He was finally admitted to the group, and he, they allowed him to write. Tidius Aristo is a Roman jurist. Uh, Plutarch. He wrote as Plutarch, of course, the moralist. Uh, That's a joke by itself. Great, great writer. Uh, he was also Titinius Capito, a philosopher. Titinius Capito, a philosopher. Uh, he wrote as Nicomachus of Gerasa. Nicomachus of Gerasa, Pythagorean mathematician. He also was the general at the siege of, of uh, Masada. Under what name? Uh, Flavius <laughs> Silva. Flavius again comes back. Now he's Flavius, uh, Flavius Silva. He this is why. Because related to the Flavians. And he forces the suicide, if it happened, of the uh, of the zealots defending the mountaintop of uh, Masada before the Romans would break in after, in the morning and slaughter them all, torture them and slaughter them. Supposedly they committed suicide. 960 people, he said. Right, it's Romans never bothered to count the bodies of their victims. They just shoveled them into the pit and covered them over and celebrated. Got drunk. They didn't care about that. This time they counted the bodies, 960. Why? Made up of? Because 300 was T, which stood for Christianity. The cross. 600 was, 600 was the first letter of Christos, Chi. Large numbering. That's right. And uh, and, six, and uh, 60 was the name Calpurnius Piso in small numbering. 41 Calpurnius. was the total of the name Calpurnius, that's right. 19 was the total of the name Piso. It was Piso, Cal Calpurnius Piso, and, uh, and Christianity. And, uh, and uh, the total was 960. There were also, according to Josephus himself, seven people who didn't get killed by, by, uh, by suicide, two women and five children in hiding. That made the total 967. But 67 was Piso too. If you try the, the sequence system, the letters of Piso in sequence, in, their alpha, in the Greek alphabet, total, total 67. That's why there are 967, actually. Much later, the predecessor to to the story of King Arthur, written by the popes, the secret, various chapters written by the popes. Um, this was a writing of uh, of a uh, of a uh, of, of a early church father who wrote under under the name of a Danish writer who wrote of the uh, the name escapes me now. But it's an early version of the King Arthur stories, and he single-handedly repels the invading Saxons. Guess how many he slew single-handedly? Go for it. <laughs> to defend Rome, to defend Britain against the invasion by Saxons? You'll never guess. 960. Where did he get 960? Leave that to your imagination. But there were 960. One man slew and defeated the invading Saxons. Well, at this point, since we're dealing with numbers and stuff like that, uh, his, his eldest surviving son, he had an older son, Alexander, who evidently died in Judea earlier. No, I think he died in Asiatic Turkey. Same place. I mean, same area. Yeah. The uh, the description of it and stuff like that is in Plutarch, where he comforts his wife. And you're going to now know who Satan is. And this is his son. We'll explain it a little later. Well, why don't we do it now? Why, it why why Revelation was even written why and who 666 is? Why go continue for it. the suspense? Right, go for it. Go for it. Okay. He wrote he wrote uh, Revelation. And he also Years? figured out, but this is not in the booklet. This is since the time of the booklet. He also wrote the Gospel of Judas. Uh, because he didn't like the family. His, he was mad. His family, had, his son had conquered uh, Bar Kokhba, destroyed the Jews in the third and final Roman-provoked revolt. He was a general. He was a general. His son was a general. Also was the name, uh, with the name of uh, Julius Severus. And uh, he, uh, he came back to Rome and they thought he would treat him to uh, being part of the ruling class. 
of the emperor, vice emperor? No, they didn't. Justice had things under his thumb. He didn't trust any of his brothers. And not only that, but uh, but uh, he knew Julius uh, Justice was scheming for total power. He was the oldest son. And he was the oldest son, and, yeah. and as you as you pointed out to me, amongst the Romans, presumably the oldest son would get the would get the power. Sure. And also, Fabius Justice uh, put him on trial for writing Revelation because the, he had mocked the family so much in Revelation. Mm -hmm. That's why there's so many strange things in Revelation. He's mocking his own family. They didn't they didn't contain uh, um, Revelation in the New Testament canon for perhaps 50 years after that because they weren't sure whether to put it in, whether it was safe. They finally did. But uh, Fabius Justice survived. He was always loyal to his family. Um, his other two brothers died because of what he did, and uh, okay, he left. 666, or I'm going to say it. 666, go ahead. Okay. After he, after his his younger brother Fabius Justus screws his, screws him out of having his son become emperor after Hadrian, he winds up uh, making Pliny the Younger, who's who's now deceased already, who was deceased by then, uh, he makes him the, the 27 horned beast coming out of the water. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's the 144,000 that survives. 100 is KP, Calpurnius Piso, K is 20, P is 80, 100. 44 is Fabius Justice in Greek small numbering. So, yes, it's true. He did survive after this. Uh, the father is Satan. Now, this is how the first letter of Christos is 600 uh, in, in, Greek large, in Greek large numbering. But what's 66? Flavius Josephus, Flavius is 30, Josephus is 36 in Greek small numbering, together 66. In the Greek manuscripts it's 616, 616, same thing, uh, 600 is Christos, and 64 of the Greek alphabet is P, Pi for Piso, so it's daddy is creation. So don't worry about some character showing up as being Satan. Julius already identified who Satan really is, the great deceiver, Piso himself, his own son calling his father Satan. Of course, he was because he created the name and the concept Satan. As the British author Thackeray said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And he was absolutely correct. It was a tangled weave, but they practiced to deceive, and they deceived the world, and it has lasted for 2,000 years. Next question. How did he connect Flavius Josephus, the public name, with his real name? That is a complicated process. I devoted a chapter of that proving that in the book. Flavius Josephus was, was uh, Arius Calpurnius Piso. I did not cover 100% of the things we've related to. Oh, the My years. friend Doug yeah. figured we should give as large a smattering of information as possible yeah. so people would understand as best you can. So the, the, proof is, the proof is in the book. But yeah. you'll figure out about 90% of what you said. We didn't get into Flavius to Valeus Perturculus' connection. This is real for the real, the real scholars. This, this is, part is the real so scholar if stuff. If you want to go beyond that, uh, we, uh, you write to us, and we will try to give you, give you information on uh, the connection of uh, Valeus Perturculus to it. But we answered the the idea of uh, the authorship of Mark through four hands, basically. And uh, the the story is, as some of my friends have called it, uh, it's not only fiction. It's not only it's not only fraud. It is it is not only a hoax and a swindle, which has been going on for two thousand years. It is also two thousand years of mental abuse. Jews have been physically abused, murdered, treated as Satan, a stereotype as the minions of Satan, of the devil, unless it's Hitler, a psychopath, a sociopath, all because of church teachings for 2,000 years that the Jews were evil. It's all fiction. And they knew it. But he did it, and they did it out of ego. Without his ego, Agreed to. the greatest ego, the greatest writer that the world has ever seen was Arius Calpurnius Piso. But without his ego, without all these code systems, without all this trail of breadcrumbs, nobody would ever have known the secret. But of course, the church would not have known, and they have tell, held the secret tightly to their breast, refusing to give it up, not caring what people say, as long as you don't mention the name Piso, and you don't connect Josephus with it, the church will like you, they'll love you, they'll say you're a true Christian. Don't mention the word Piso, Piso, Piso. That's verboten. That is the bad name you must not mention. My, my, oh, sir. The, the creator of the church, or organizing the church, definitely was Proculus, right? Proculus was the original one. Then Antoninus... Maybe that's why they call St. Peter's, Saint Peter's On Cathedral. On this rock, I will, you will found your church. Piso intended his son Proculus as a successor, but Proculus died two years after Piso. Fabius Justus remained loyal. He manipulated, he maneuvered, he murdered, he slaughtered, he killed, he used intrigue, used marriages, and he succeeded. And he died in bed. Right. <laughs> died in bed. Well, I'm sure without, no, without any guilt. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that's that's the that's the the sad part of that. Okay, we covered the version, by the way. Okay, what do you think is the real purpose of the Pisos writing the New Testament? Population control, of course. They wanted to be first to control the, the slaves and poor people, and they have to pay less. They have to collect low, uh, fewer taxes from the aristocracy. They didn't have to have a soldier at every door to scare the heck out of them. They use a lot of fear and a little bit of hope, just like the Stoics controlled the masses yeah. before the rise of Christianity. With, with a combination of fear and hope, you could control these poor, literate people whom you did not allow citizenship to, you did not allow literacy to, you did not give Bibles or books into their possession, you kept them stupid and illiterate, and as long as you could do that, and it lasted to the 15th century, you could control the masses. Even the Renaissance, which was deliberately set up by the church to mollify the masses, they didn't allow them to read in that time in the 1400s. It wasn't until the invention of the of the um, Gutenberg Bible and the printing press, the 1500s, and the rise of Martin Luther and, and uh, reading your Bible, and then the Brits singing the Spanish Armada in 1588, that Western man finally rose from the, from the control and manipulation, hatred and murder imposed by Christianity, all in the name of love and salvation and, and kindness. Well, all the time the religious and political leadership all knew the Pisos had written it. Because they were induced to join up. Look at the money. Look at the control. Well, it's, the leadership wanted control of, of the masses that control way. Control the masses. Yeah, control the masses. We covered some of the code systems, large numbering, small numbering, sequence system. That's explained in the booklet. They have cumulative small numbering. There's a whole bunch of code systems. I don't want to beat it to death for people. And it's somewhat of it's a little bit complicated. We've mentioned some of it. Did you want to add anything to some of the code systems? I try to make things simple. You have to. Yeah. I'm not a classical scholar. I'm an attorney by profession, but I've always believed to try to make things simple for the average person. I wrote it for the average person to understand. We've sold, Doug sold some, or I sold a lot, my wife has sold some, friends have sold some. In total, more than 40,000. Never had a person write to me after buying the booklet, and we used to sell them very cheap because we wanted to get maximum exposure to a five bucks. the world. It's a responsibility. Oh, to the world, not just to the Jews. Right. The world has been enslaved oh, by this. People have given money thinking they're going to they're going to see Jesus in heaven. There's nobody there in heaven with the name Jesus. Because he never existed. He can't be there in heaven if he never was on earth, if there's no story. I'd like to add something on that. Peso got the name Jesus from the Greek translation of Joshua. Joshua's father was Nun, and that's why a Catholic sister is called Nun, N-U-N, spelled the same way. So it's kind of funny. But... Um, but it, it, many parts of the story are very circular. You know, when he uses a name or something like that, it's always for a reason. I was going to say, which, who wrote which books? But I think we'll just cover the main ones rather than all the smaller ones. Like, we know roughly when Mark was written. What was Mark finished by Marius Calpurnius Piso? He, he took over in 70 and wrote his own book, Matthew. It was a name which he gave to his father, Gaius. And then he took it back for the purpose of writing Matthew by, to honor his father. Yeah. 75 to 80, he wrote a revised uh, gospel of, according to Mark. Yeah, his father's. Right. Yeah. Uh, because his father had finished it, even though um, Vespasian's brother, his grandfather, Furious. Piso's grandfather, paternal grandfather, um, had uh, written it, had written most of it. Uh, Luke was written 85 to 90. Luke was after the figure, his grandfather, Furious. Piso's grandfather, paternal grandfather, um, had uh, written it, had written most of it. Uh, Luke was written 85 to 90. Luke was after the fictional name of his son, Fabius Justus, whose real name was Marcus. We discovered that later. He was Marcian, he was Marcus of Byzantium, named after his great-grandfather, who was Piso's grandfather, who was here. Marcus Calpurnius Piso. I have it up here, yeah. Right. He wrote that, and... Uh, Piso, meanwhile, was, was writing his Jewish war, uh, Bellum Judaicum, which was uh, 75 to 80. And uh, about 90, he wrote Antiquities, or supervised Antiquities. The Herodians wrote most of Antiquities. And uh, about 100, he wrote his Vita, which was a sequel to uh, his Jewish Antiquities, to inform the aristocracy of all the numbers. He didn't say what they were, but he put in the numbers so they could better understand what he was doing. Because if there was one thing he wanted, it was honor. He was the greatest egotist, the greatest writer, the greatest honor seeker there's ever been. And without him having created all these systems, 
systems of code, nobody would have ever figured it out. I think one of the sons even says on a writing, how, how many uh, wonderful different writing styles you have. That was Pliny the Younger. Pliny wrote public letters, too. Yeah. And in one of those, and we neglected to make a note of which one of the, of the public letters it was, he writes to his, his uh, grandfather, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his wife's grandfather, who is also his uh, much older half-brother. He says, oh, you write so wonderfully. You write in so many different styles, he says. And he did, he did. And he just loved honor, and he just loved to be praised. And he just loved that his story should last forever, although he wasn't sure. He wrote, when he wrote Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Everything I see is vanity. Vanity and emptiness. I don't know what will happen to all my life's work. I've worked so hard on my life's work. It may be just thrown out when I, after I die. Who knows, maybe I've worked for nothing. It's this Ecclesiastes, which the Jews this call is Kohelet, Kohelet, the preacher, is, is a, in effect, it's his confession of what he's done. No question about that. He couldn't escape from confessing of what he did, and he wrote Ecclesiastes for that purpose. The greatest writer who ever lived. It was a great, great decision on my part. Until Bud came along, I had it for six years. I figured out 80, 75, 85% of it. But it's a great responsibility. I used to think, what will all these elderly ladies in tennis shoes in California have to believe in if they didn't have this? Let it be. Let it be. But Doug and others finally said, look. I have an aunt who crosses herself when she passes in front of the church. <laughs> look, it's, it's pure faith, and it keeps yeah. people on a moral compass. And it's difficult to create as, as, as uh, marvelous a system of this which would support a moral code. Yeah. I mean, society needs a moral code. So I, I had misgivings for years before I took it upon myself to, to try to spread the word. And I couldn't stop these, these former Jews who were now atheists from running around breaking up Jewish families by talking them into, into uh, Christianity. And they wouldn't listen. The rabbis wouldn't listen because they were afraid. Uh, Christian believers wouldn't listen because they were so content in the arms of Jesus. And who's going to listen? I said to myself, well, the world needs a moral code, but Nobody's done it for 2,000 years, and if I don't do it, Jews will continue getting wiped out in pogroms and inquisitions and by Hitlers who are trying to expand their power by using the ideas of Satan against the Jews. And the non-Jewish world will continue mirrored in darkness like some of the British poets have written, and there's no solution. We can shoot rocket ships to the moon, we can clone DNA, we can invent combust uh, internal combustion engines, now we've got computers and the internet, all this stuff. One thing is sacrosanct and it must not be told to the masses, just the leadership get to know? I said, that's fiddle. I'm not going to put up with that. As far as I'm concerned, I know the secret and I'm not going to sit on it and torture myself. People need to be liberated. There are millions of Christians out there who are used for their money and they're laughed at behind their back by their leaders. It's time they found out. It's been a tremendous burden for them. They've been used too, just like Jews have. Everybody needs to be liberated from this. Now, I wanted to ask one little we're going to merge to, we've covered almost all the points I had here. The, um, the, the book Enoch, I think he, he first creates the idea and the concept of Satan? No, he creates, he refers to the devil and gives him the name Satan. But in his writings, when he sends the angel Gabriel to, to Mary in the story, that you will, be, you will be mother to a savior and his name will be Emmanuel. Perhaps they haven't settled on the name of Jesus yet. I don't know. And then he sends Gabriel again, he comes, either Gabriel or Michael, comes down to see Daniel twice. Very interesting. Daniel, what, what year was Daniel? 26, about the year, about the year, uh, about the year 95. And uh, he comes down to see Daniel, and uh, first time he comes as, as an angel from heaven, and then he comes down as actual Gabriel. And uh, he tells, he tells uh, Daniel, this book should be sealed up, and hidden until the world is more educated and is ready for that, this information. Another confession by Piso that it's all a fraud. But we can't tell people yet. My story may evaporate in two, three, five hundred years or a thousand years. He had no idea it was going to last for two thousand years. Okay, he, he created Gabriel earlier than the book Enoch. Oh, yes. Did he create Michael in the book Enoch then? He has, two, he has two then. I think he created Michael and Gabriel and then put them into the book of Enoch to predate the book of Enoch to establish a foundation for the names of the archangels. Right. Because this is not the Jewish religion at all. This doesn't show the up there at all. Hebrews have no archangels, just None. angels appearing. Correct. And no names, have other names, no names associated with them. No yeah. names. 
It's not in the Torah. It's not in the Bible. Later in the Talmud, the Jews gave up on that point and they started referring to them and they made up a couple more archangels. So we have five archangels and one of the five archangels has a different name, two different names for him. But that's where the archangel came from. He had to establish an early foundation to show that in the writer, whoever he may have been, and it was himself, the writer uh, had an ancient foundation for the names of archangels because they were named in the writings that, that, uh, that he did of, uh, of Enoch, which is written about 100 and backdated to the early days of Jewish history, of Judean history. Do you remember Jesus goes into a cave and sees Satan? Do you remember in one of the stories? No, I don't, I don't think so. He's up on the mountain and Satan... Uh, oh, and he, he tells Jesus to jump and Jesus won't jump. Uh, no, the story about uh, the cave is one that's used in, uh, in the inception of the Quran. In, in, uh, Which I, I should mention right now. For all those Muslims uh, watching this and, and gleefully cheering away and saying, hey, Christianity is a fraud, I'd like to remind you that through the entire Quran, the we mentioned through the whole Quran is referring to chapter 2, verse 98 in the Quran, which is Archangel Gabriel Michael, who theoretically dictates the whole Quran to Muhammad, who was illiterate in a cave. You may have three problems here. One, uh, Archangel Gabriel and Michael were created by Piso, they're fictional characters, uh, and Mohammed was illiterate. How is he going to write this stuff down? So you might have a problem with the story. It's not anybody's fault. Everybody has been used by their church leadership. Well, political leadership in this case. We've always been used yeah. by political leadership. To control the masses. the device of religion. The communists said religion is the opiate of the people, and to an extent that's true. It doesn't mean communism is right. Because that's also a, a, a system of ultimate control. control it's another religion. Just it's another religion. The state it's becomes the God. The Church of the Middle Ages, reborn under the name of Bolshevism, just as the Quran is. It's feudalism, is what it is. Yeah. Our plea, my plea, is for ecumenism, where everybody should recognize God, or if they don't believe in God, just follow a moral code, <laughs> to be kind to each other, as expressed in our booklet on Islam, which we also have available. Uh, the idea that people who love their brother of other religions of no religions would be doing the right thing. And that's the only way to have peace in the world. But the, the we final certainly thing, don't need another 700 years war. No, we don't have 700 years. The, the last thing I want to... Too many horrible weapons in the world today. No. The last thing I want to cover is, um, is the books that Piso and his relatives wrote and forced the Jews to do the Hebrew translation and put into the Jewish canon. The reason is, is uh, many um, Messianic uh, Jewish groups, as well as Christian groups who are trying to evangelize Jews, try to point to the, the Piso books uh, to, um, to prove that Jesus fulfilled these ancient prophecies. Now, the ones I know of are... And scholars, uh, there's two Isaiahs, Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2 goes from chapters 40 to 66. The reason why it is 66 chapters is because we said earlier, Flavius Josephus is total 66 in Greek small numbering. The reason he adds 26 chapters is the same reason. You can go tell them. The well, 10 and the 16. My friend Doug and I disagree on a few things, not on right. anything. Not on this we one. disagree. Though. I say there were three Isaiahs. He says there were two. Two for sure. We can compromise perhaps on two and a half. But one thing's for sure, he got a hold of Isaiah. He added stuff. He added all kinds of stuff. And yeah. He definitely added between the end of chapter 42, where the book supposedly ends, up to chapter 66. Mm. He also changed Ezekiel. He also he added, added to Jeremiah. His son, uh, Justice, after he, his father died in 118, and then he, he murdered his, his brother and the other three consulars. He wrote Micah. He wrote Malachi, put in prophecies of the virgin birth in Nazareth, in Beth, excuse me, Bethlehem. Zechariah. And he wrote Zechariah at the end of the Third Jewish Revolt. He Daniel. Just, he just diluted the, the Jewish writings to pieces, forced the rabbis at the, at the threat of their lives and at the threat of their religion being extinguished to do translations into Hebrew of these books that he had done. He added innumerable prophecies of the coming of Jesus to the existing Jewish uh, he, he also wrote prophets. He also wrote First Chronicles and the book Job. Job is no question. That's another book that's loved by Christian pastors because it's so Christological. Job, and Zechariah, and the book of Esther, and all of these things were written by the Pisos who wanted to, to supplant Judaism in every possible way, and they used this way too by polluting the Jewish writings and changing them around. And the Jews were stuck with them; they could not change them because they were afraid that they will be accused. Of, of changing their Jewish Bible 
and therefore being against history, and they would probably be murdered for that too. The church didn't need many reasons to murder Jews from time to time. No, they were trying they to control their people. They were afraid the Jewish leadership knew some of this stuff, and they wanted to kill off as many as they could, so the secret would die with them. Uh, whenever the opportunity came along, for 1900 years, yeah. the Jews would be the contempt and hatred accumulated by the... Who wrote Jonah? Jonah was written by, by one of the Pisos, too. Uh, Jonah was, uh, was uh, written by Fabius Justice, as I recall. And Ruth was written by Pliny the Younger. And these books were forced into the Jewish writings. Yeah. Well, and the Jews were defeated people. They were defeated people, and they were living only at the sufferance of the Romans. Correct. And they didn't want to be slaughtered a fourth, fourth time. As it was, half the Jewish population was deliberately cut down to less than half. Went down to, from eight, over 8 million people in the Roman Empire, down to about 3.5 million at the end of the Third Revolt. And the Jews gave up, and they turned to their own studies. And the men went to study in the, day, in the daytime. And... Uh, the women increasingly became um, going to the market and having stalls in the market when they could, supporting the families, and they just, they just lived, lived, just basically lived, and um, until the rise of Islam, they had no place to run away to. Once they were chased out of Rome, you know, out of uh, Spain in 1492, those who could escaped to the to Turkey and helped the Turks build up their their uh, their empire. But Jewish history has been very sad, and they've known it, but they don't like to talk about it. Christian history has been very sad for the average person, too. Most of Europe. 2,000 years of mind manipulation. Oh, the Poles. Poland was converted to Catholicism after they killed 100 or 300,000 of them in battle. Well, they, During the 100 Years War or the 30 Years War, one or the other, they slaughtered them. But it's been a history of, of murder, mass murder of people. Yeah. That's what's kept the population down. Same thing was true for Germany, too. Yeah. Right. Anything more killed uh, 40 million people, 6 million Jews deliberately, and uh, another 34 million people got in the way. Including um, millions of, of German soldiers. Russians, I, uh, the Germans lost five million, as I remember. The Russians lost twenty million. This is all because of the use of religion to uh, to try to conquer other people. Yeah. Do you want anything else? I think we covered most of it. We covered it all. I encourage people to read it. You can order from here. I'll, 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 I'll give you the order. Now, I sent uh, uh, a money order to Avalon Reichland Foundation, or Avalon Reichland, P.O. Box 5652D, Kent, Washington, 98064. $17 is $15 for the booklet and $2 for mailing and handling. Please send a money order. So we'll put, we'll put the money orders to a, uh, as quickly as we can pick them up at the... Sure, and we'll mail them off. We'll mail them off. And we won't have to wait for the, for the checks to clear. Thank you very much. Now, I know this may be coming uh, as a shock to many listeners to hear that the entirety of Christianity has been nothing but a made-up story by an egomaniac, uh, power-hungry author who had no idea that he was not playing with dynamite as much as um, nitroglycerin. And rather than shake it or stir it over the centuries, it was very calmly packaged and placed in very um, safe um shall we say, vessels to continue the story. And this is what we have today. Maybe listening to my other episode called The Christ Myth Theory um, about the fake Jesus. Uh, it gives you a little bit more uh, detail as to what the um, myth has done today in our modern uh, concept of understanding it. But this is, I know, very, very shocking to many of you. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, this guy's just in it for the money. He's just making up a story. He's only one guy. I mean, nobody else is talking about this. But keep in mind, this particular expose, it's not, it's not just, uh, you know, somebody's having sex in the White House here we're exposing. This is an elaborate hoax that has been... Uh, supported and written on uh, by other supporting authors over the centuries because it works so wonderfully to power trip control the masses of people. You know, I mean, Aberlon is talking about, you know, he, he sat on this story for a long time because his understanding is that religion, um, even the ones that spawned from this one, uh, it, it, it acts as like a social, I guess, net or, or padded cell, really, to keep everybody from just going apeshit crazy and killing everybody and just, you know. But 
Really, when you think about it, that's not all on religion's shoulders. If there was no law, there would be no crime. Now hear me out on this. If everyone was a judge, per se, um, if everyone had the authority to be executor, judge, and jury over whoever uh, comes on their lawn or, or, or on their property or, or violates them in any way, and everyone knows this, that you're really essentially attacking a judge, and that's everybody. There would be very, very little crime. I would dare say it would be non-existent completely, certainly if you start from a culture and a society, um, a, a real civilization where people begin from this ground zero concept of no law, no crime, and uh, support it with AI technology, robotics, computer technology, automation, where things are provided um, at very little cost or charge to people. But it will take more than a great reset. I dare say it will take a scourging, uh, a uh, scorched earth type of thing to make that happen because we have now for several thousand years these six continents they call the globe, not a globe, had nothing on our plates really, certainly in the modern eras, but law to suppress crime, religion to suppress uh, just, you know, purging, or, uh, a berserk, apeshit craziness of society. Um, but those are only needed because law corrupts, absolutely. You know, what did George Carlin say? All the judges are bought and paid for. Uh, they, meaning the, the corporate leaders, own all the important land. They own the media. They, you know, you've heard Brother George talk about this. They own this fucking place. It's a big club. And you ain't in it. And you ain't in it. And you ain't in it. And it's because this society has evolved into this corruption ruling phase because um, there's a limited amount of law makers and givers and executors and with these limited amount of law folk um, they're corrupt yeah corrupt as hell of course they are bought and paid for by now every one of them I mean if you're an honest judge think about this if you're an honest judge whatever the hell that means if you're a judge that uh, really wants to be fair and uh, give everybody a good shake, you're not going to last very long. You're going to be scandalized out of the club. Just like the peer review group. If you write an article that doesn't go in line with the narrative of the peer group in the reviewing process, you'll be filtered out. So, you know, good luck with that. It'll take more than a great reset to remove law and religion and make everyone more equitable and fairly, um, I guess, socially adjusted and a real civilization. Yeah, I'm sorry, Michio Kaku. We are not a 0.5 civilization. We're not a one civilization in your, um, your scale of civilized societies and thinking of other worlds or other cultures or other real civilizations out there they're like a 2 or 3.0 I've heard this talk before but I'm so sorry a type 1 civilization is planetary type 2 is stellar type 3 is galactic we don't even qualify as a civilization not these six continents not this one or two percent that rules the masses no way no way in 2023, you're dropping bodies over there uh, in this Russian war on Ukraine, you know, I mean, for resource allocation, for land grabs, uh, for money from from your uh, neighbors nearby going to help, help out the, the, the Ukrainian um, David against Goliath. And then, then you just have a, a proxy war going on, really. Um, this is not a, this is not how civilization um, exists. Civilizations don't do this. They don't waste their money, their resources, their technology on different ways to control and kill people. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't qualify as, as anything on the scale, Michio. Anything. And then also, and you look at that, and you look at uh, 
you know, the pharmaceutical industry, how it is pillaging and, and over-medicating and literally mind-raping people with expensive medications all in the name of, oh, well, you know, you want to be healthy, you're going to have to pay the price. You know, you paid a lot of money on your, your, your ills to get you in this condition, so now you're going to pay a lot of money to get yourself corrected. Uh, yeah, that's real civilized. <laughs> if you'd like to support this podcast anyway, please do so by sending us a PayPal donation to click here, and that's C-L-I-C-K-H-E-A-R, podcasts at protonmail.com. We're not here to make billions of dollars, like I said before. This is just to keep it floating, paying for the not that much minuscule airtime to keep the broadcast on a yearly uh, basis with uh, the host platform Podomatic.com, P-O-D-O-M-A-T-I-C.com. It's just to keep it going. Um, I, I dare say I'm probably ghost banded in a lot of places. I don't see a lot of uh, comments. I don't see a lot of feedback on any of the episodes. There's like maybe two comments in five years, six years. So I know it's ghost banded. I know that it's you know not getting out as much as it could. But that's okay. Hey, you know, um, sometimes we do things for our own therapeutic uh, use too. And I do get a lot of satisfaction when I talk to people in public and point them to podcast through the ghost banding um, you know ways that they try to do it or banning rather you know it's just um, it, it's just something to do to get the word out you know and some people say well you know you're not really getting a lot of uh, word out you know you don't make much of a difference but each person that I talk to and meet when I go out wherever and I tell them about it and they're genuinely interested in the podcast and they tune in they pull up their phone they put it right there well, that made a difference for that person. And that's why we do this. So thank you for clicking here and not being part of the herd, but hearing and taking what you hear and making yourself heard in your community and in your family and in your circle of influence. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You're listening to the Click Here Podcast, brought to you by New Airwaves Audio Productions.